sense, and that's what we do as a church. We take a, a book and we go through it, uh, very often paragraph by paragraph or chapter by chapter. And that's what we were doing as we started Corinthians. And then we came to this chapter 12 and 13 and 14. We, we, we stopped and slowed right down. We, we're on number 14 of our series that we've entitled Spiritual Gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are about spiritual gifts. And this central chapter is about love, but it's in connection to the teaching of spiritual gifts. And, and so we're here, and we're looking at it, and we're in this little section, this little section from verse 4 to the first part of verse 8, uh, and, and a lot of people say this section uh, was a hymn. It was a hymn, it was a song about love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Loves, bear, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And in the centerpiece, the centerpiece of Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts is this song on love. And last Lord's Day, I wanted us to, to, to imagine this. I wanted us to think of this as it would have been for those Corinthians as they first heard it. You see, so often, and we've, we've all heard this before, and, and some of you have said this, that uh, some of your weddings, this was the verses that were read. And, and so often we hear these verses at weddings. We hear these verses and see them on fridge magnets and on the walls. And, and they are, as I said before, Instagrammable. But when the Corinthians first heard it, it was like a mirror that was being held up to their lives. And, and Paul was speaking to them and reminding them, uh, as he did in the first few verses, of how important love is. And as this mirror was held up to their lives, we, we thought of the fact that this wasn't a pleasant experience for them. As we went through the, the previous chapters of Corinthians last week, we saw how their sin, and we saw how their difficulties in the church was because they were, were loveless. They were without this love. And, and they could see that their previous failings and the areas that Paul was calling them out, and the areas that Paul was lovingly teaching them to get right, was because they hadn't got love in their lives. The very things that could be overcome by love, the very problems that could be sorted out by love, were there because love was not there. And as these Corinthians were hearing this letter being read, as these Corinthians were thinking about their loveless actions in the past, when the Corinthians were thinking this, it was like the penny dropped, as we say in English, or the light came on, or the truth dawned on them. And as they were sat there, and they realized that they had acted in a loveless way, they realized that they were the clanging symbol. They realized that they were nothing. 
they realized that they would gain nothing because in their obsession for spiritual gifts, in their obsession for the supernatural, for the, in their obsession for manifesting these things, they had been loveless. They'd forgotten the most important. And that's quite shocking, isn't it? And I think when we went on and we tried to dig into these verses and look in the mirror ourselves, I know that I was convicted. And I know those of you that were on Zoom confessed, some of you, that you too were convicted. And tragically in our lives there are times when we are clanging cymbals and we are nothing, and we gain nothing, despite our religiosity, despite our desire for spiritual gifts, despite our doing great things we think, because we have not love. And just as we looked at these verses like that mirror, we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to evaluate ourselves against this true love, this agape love, this love in action that's been demonstrated to us here in these verses. And we need to evaluate how we are doing on the love front. How you personally, how I personally, how we as a church are doing on the love front. Because we don't want to be known as a church that's a clanging gong and a clashing cymbal. We don't want to be known as a church or people who are nothing. We don't want people to, to come here Sunday by Sunday and gain nothing because there is no love. We need to get this right. Love is vitally important regarding spiritual gifts. Love is vitally important for getting church right. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time on this song about love. And I want us to get a better understanding of what this love is. This love that the Corinthians needed. This love that we need to be at the center of our lives. And what I want to do over this week and, and, and the next week and possibly the following, I don't know how quickly or slowly we're going to go, but I want to see how the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our big brother, demonstrated this love as it's outlined to us here in this song. And so we're going to look at the different attributes. We're going to look at the different descriptions here of love. And then we're going to pull examples from God's word of how Jesus demonstrated that in his life. And then I want us to challenge ourselves as we see it perfectly exampled and the perfect pattern, pattern set up by Christ. I want us then to put the spotlight on ourselves and say, are we like that? Are you like that? And so as we start to delve in this, the first main heading, the first main thing I want us to observe is something that's so different to what the world tells us. You have the pictures in your mind of Cupid at Valentine's Day. A little thing on a cloud firing arrows and making people fall in love. And, and, and we often think of love as, as an emotion and love is fluffy and love is something that makes your heart flutter. And 
Well, us gentlemen don't, but then when it hits you, it all changes and you realize that there is those things going on. But the love that's been talked about here is not about an emotion. Love is an action. Love is an action. And, and all these descriptions here are actions. Things you do or don't do because of love. Love is manifest in action. Love is an action. You see, it really struck me. It, I mean, it surprised me. I would have thought Jesus, who manifests love so dramatically, would have said to somebody, I love you. You'd have kind of thought that, wouldn't you? You kind of thought that Jesus would have said to somebody, I love you. Now, whether he did or he didn't, I don't know. But in God's word... In, in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in, in the history of Christ on this world, there is no record of him saying, I love you. And, and so many of us think that the, the way we show love is by saying, I love you. I love you with this bunch of flowers. I love you with this present. I love you with this card. I love you with this grand statement. And the Lord Jesus Christ never said like that grand statement. But there was no doubt. There was no doubt because Jesus didn't have to say, I love you. Because his whole life says, I love you. I am loving you. I will love you. You see, in John chapter 13, in verses 34 through to 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and then he says, a new commandment I, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Jesus didn't say, I love you. Jesus said, look, I have loved you. And how did the disciples know this? The disciples had lived with Christ and they'd seen his love in action. They'd seen his compassion. They'd seen his care. And, and, and the description that we have of love here in 1 Corinthians 13 is not, as I say, described in terms of human emotions. It's not a philosophical argument of what love is. It's not an abstract, in abstract terms, but it's described in actions. And these very actions are how Jesus showed his love to his disciples, how Jesus showed his love to the world, how Jesus chose his love to you here and now. So love is an action. It's no good for us at LPC just to say we love the world. And sit here and have a good time. Love for the world, love for one another, shows itself in action. And this is what we have to remember. That the love that the Corinthians were being called to here was not this little sort of thing where I write on a card and say I love you. I, I put a little poster up and talk about love. No, this was a love that meant things. It meant that the previous 12 chapters of faults could have been avoided. And it meant that going forward, those faults and sins could be overcome because love is patient. 
Firstly, I want to talk about patient love. That's in the order. We're just going to go through them in the order that they are. Jesus demonstrates his perfect patience in our salvation. Uh, 1 Timothy, Paul speaking to to Timothy, his young uh, apprentice, if you like. He's been mentored by, Timothy being mentored by Paul. Uh, And and this is what Paul says to Timothy in, in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus' perfect patience is demonstrated in the Apostle Paul's salvation and in everybody's salvation. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and comes to know eternal life in Him, it is because of Christ's patience, His perfect patience. And what does this mean? What does this mean for for Christ to have perfect patience in Paul's salvation? And and, and we're using Paul's salvation as as a a point of contact for all our salvations and for everyone that's here who will trust on the name of the Lord. While we were yet dead in our sins, Christ died for us. While we were yet enemies, Christ was working out our salvation. You see, the love that's been demonstrated to us as God's people has been given to us before time began. Those of you that have fallen in love, yes, or maybe those of you that think you've fallen in love and it hasn't sort of happened like that fully yet, but you don't fall in love with something that's nasty. If you do, you need counseling, and we'll, we'll chat to you later. Yeah? But you, you fall in love with something that makes you feel happy, something that makes you feel excited, something that, 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 is, that is dear to your heart. The, the young man looks on the young lady, and, and she is beautiful, and she is clever, and she's all these things that she dreamt of, and, and that's why he falls in love with her. And yet Christ here, he comes in love while we are ugly in our sin. He knows our rottenness. And he knows the pain that he is going to have to go through to be able to redeem us and make us right. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are rotten and dirty to the core using that metaphor. Our sin and our rebellion mount up against us. There's nothing special about us. If, if we go to God's word, we can think about being like a, a beggar on a dunghill. Farm animals, hay, 
The animal eats it, comes out the other side, it's not good. And that's what we're like. We're like sat on that pile of filthy, stinking rubbish. Or another metaphor and illustration from the Bible is the, the, the menstruous rags that would have been there in those days that were filthy. And our righteousness, our best, is like that. And yet, while you and I were like that, Christ came into this world. And the punishment that that dirt and filth needed, he took upon himself. And he demonstrates this perfect patience. And for you and I, he had to wait over 2,000 years for our salvation. But he also demonstrated this patience when he was pouring out his love. And we see it in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and how he interacted with his disciples. We, we, we read these stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we look at these disciples and we think, you are stupid boys. Yeah? They just don't get it, do they? Jesus tells them clearly who he is. He walks on water. He does a miracle. And they're still thinking, who is this? And Jesus still in patience and love and compassion and patience brings them along. And he's there with them in the upper room. And he's about to wash their feet. And he knows that these men are going to forsake him that night. One of them is going to be so desperate to run away and leave all his clothes and just run. And one will come back and betray him three times. Or deny him three times, should I say, because Judas had betrayed him and sold him out properly. And yet, despite that, Jesus loves him. Jesus shows his love to them. They failed to understand his teaching. They said, what does this mean? And they made mistakes, and yet he continued and continued to love them. And then he showed patience with people when they, they came to him for healing or for guidance. He, he took time out to, to listen to them, to address their needs. Uh, we see an example of this in Luke chapter 9. The disciples hadn't learned yet. The disciples had one task to do, cast out a demon. Jesus had shown them. Jesus had gone before them, and, and they couldn't do it. And in verse 41 of that passage in, in Luke 9, which goes from 37 to 44, but the, in 41, Jesus speaks and says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? There's patience, bearing with them. And, and, and the boy is healed. And, and Jesus then went on to, to say to the disciples that he would be delivered into the hands of men. He was telling them that he was going to be crucified. He was pointing forward to his death. And in verse 47, but they did not understand his saying. It was concealed for them that they might not perceive. And they were afraid to ask him about this. And yet Christ continued to show patience and kindness to them. And in all this, Jesus kept on loving and kept on healing and kept on teaching. 
And through and through, his patience was present. We have to ask ourselves, you have to ask yourself, what is your patience like? How was it when 15, 20 people got in the bus before you? How was it when the checkout queue was a lot longer? How was it when you pulled the tab out at the bank and it said 274 and you looked up and saw 32? What is your patience like? What is your patience like when someone's come and sat in your seat in church and that's where you sit every Sunday? How de- What's your patience like? What's your patience like in the growth group when someone asks that same question again? We have to remember. You have to remember that your patience is a reflection of your love. If there's no patience, the equation would tell us that there's no love. Do people see God's love poured out in you, in your patience? Is is there something serene about you when you're waiting at the international office that people are scratching their heads and thinking, this person should be screaming and shouting at me, but they are just being patient. You see, God's love in us and through us allows us to transcend the situations that we're in. And in those simple things, Christ can shine out. And when you're in a church environment and and someone's got a a different opinion to you, is God's love seen in your patience? Do, Do people see God's love poured out in you because of your patience? Or do they see a lack of patience because you're lacking in love? Love is patient and kind and kind. Number two, kind love. And and there are just so many examples of Jesus' kindness. It's, It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are just full of Christ's kindness. Jesus showed impartial kindness to, to, to people from all walks of life. He didn't just show kindness to those who is easy to be kind to, yes? The kindness that is like a reciprocation, a kindness that's like a transaction, yes? I share my lunch with him today. They share their dinner with me tomorrow. I let them crash at my place tonight. I know I've got somewhere to stay in the future. Yeah, that's not really kindness. That's a transaction. That wasn't what Christ did. There was, there was nothing like that. Uh, I feel a duty to be kind to this person because they're from the same country as me. I I feel I ought to look out for them because they go to the the same university as me. That's not kindness, true kindness. 
The true kindness and the kindness that, that, that Christ showed was, was impartial. It was impractical. It was impossible at times. In, in Matthew 8, we're told about a leper. Lepers in those days were, were the people who were suffering from leprosy. And leprosy was a contagious disease. It was a debilitating disease. It was a disease that would lead to a painful death. But it was also a disease that meant that you were cast out from society. Lepers had to go around ringing a bell, making a noise, saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. Nobody wanted to hang out with lepers. You didn't want to get close to lepers because you didn't want to catch leprosy yourself. They were untouchable. And often their disease was seen as a metaphor, as a picture for sin. And often people would think, well, that person is particularly sinful because they've got a particularly bad case of leprosy. And this leper, he, he calls out to Jesus in Matthew 8. And in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand. And he touched him saying, I will be clean. The leper asks for healing. The leper asks to be made clean. And Jesus touches, stretches out his hand and says, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleaned. Now, now we might think, well, the kindness was the miracle. No, the kindness wasn't the miracle. That was a blessing. The kindness here was Jesus reaching out and touching the untouchable. Can you believe this man may never have been touched in the past weeks, months, years before? Compassion and humanity wasn't shown to him. He was ostracized and pushed out. And here is Jesus, and he sees this man, and he could have just simply said, be cleaned and be done, and it would have been done, and it would have been a miracle, yes. But Jesus' kindness is far greater than that, and Jesus' kindness stretches out his hand and touched him, the untouchable, the unclean. The person that conceivably could have transmitted that disease across. And Jesus showed that immense kindness. And friends, that kindness is like what Christ has done for us. We, we are like that leper. We, we're a mess. We're contagious. And, and Jesus' love for us is so great that he reaches out and touches he came into this world. He stood next to, lived next to sinners like us. He saw the mess. He lived in the mess. And yet he overcame the mess. And it was fueled by his love, which was demonstrated in his kindness. Jesus showed kindness to all types of people from all walks of life. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he forgave sinners. And his kindness was extended out to those that were marginalized, those that were outcast, like that leper. 
Also like that Samaritan woman who was at the well, who came with her adulterous life and her problems. And Christ's love and Christ's kindness transcended the culture of the day that said a man shouldn't speak to a woman. It transcended the culture of a day saying that a man shouldn't speak to a, a Jew, should speak to a Samaritan. It transcended the, the religious mind's day of thinking, well, a man, a holy man, shouldn't speak to a sinner like her. And Christ, in his kindness, in his love, spoke with her and her life was changed forever and she drank of that well of living water and the woman that was caught in adultery and, and they brought her to him and, and they wanted him to condemn her and Jesus looks on and says those words to the, the people around look who is without sin cast the first stone and no one cast any stones and Jesus looks up and he sees the woman and he says I'm not going to condemn you in, in kindness in love he shows her forgiveness her sins are dealt with in Matthew 9 and verse 35 it tells us what Jesus did he went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Not because they were diseased. Not because they were hungry. Not because of all the affliction. But he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. The great miracles that Christ did was pointing forward to the miracle. The miracle of forgiveness. And healing them and enabling them over their material difficulties was pointing forward to the fact that Christ has the power to heal them from their deepest spiritual need. Forgiveness of their sins through Christ's death on the cross. This compassion he had there is his kindness, is Jesus' love in action. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we have to practically come and say, what is your kindness like? How have How's your kindness being demonstrated? Because we have to remember that our kindness, your kindness, is a reflection of your love. And do people see God's love poured out in you through your kindness? Is your kindness without prejudice? Or is your kindness limited to your family, your, your people group, your friends? Do you have this kind of transactional kindness? I do this and I get that back. I'll be kind to them because they can be kind to me. I'll be kind to them because they can do something for me. Friends, what's your kindness like? Have you reached out and touched the untouchable? Have you cared for or had any feelings for that person that 
can't care for themselves and society just leaves by the side. Are you concerned when your brothers and sisters here are, are suffering and, and having difficulties? You see, sometimes we think that, that kindness needs to be some great act. And sometimes it's just a smile and a nod and an acknowledgement of someone's difficulties and saying, I'm praying for you. Sometimes it comes in a hug. Sometimes it comes in sitting alongside someone in silence and giving up your time. And yes, sometimes it does come in a big thing. But friends, what does your kindness say about your love? Because if you have no kindness, there probably is no love. And as we go through these, we're probably going to be thinking, ouch. And just as when we come to face, we know the Holy Spirit pours out God's love in us. If you're feeling a bit loveless now, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the love of God. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. Three, love does not envy. Guess what? I couldn't find an example in the Bible of Jesus envying. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> just didn't do it. And, and, he, and yet there were probably times when he could have or was tempted to. Jesus celebrated the success and the good deeds of others and he didn't ever seek his own personal glory. Instead, he continued, directed the praise and the glory to the Father. But as I was thinking of this, I think Jesus' second temptation when the devil was trying to trick him to worship him, that was what the devil's target was. The devil wanted Jesus to worship the devil. And the temptation was positioned by the devil in the first place, wanting to get Jesus to be envious or jealous of him. The narrative is in Luke chapter 4. And Luke chapter 4, in the beginning bit, is, is the temptation in the, de the desert. And, and we know the Spirit took him there. We know there was a reason for him to be there. And, and he gets through the first temptation. And the second one comes. And we read of that in verse 5. And, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. We're not going to debate the theology of that, okay? But what we are going to say is the devil wanted Jesus to be envious and jealous. The devil's hook there was the kingdoms of the world. The devil's hook was his perceived authority of that situation. And Jesus, if he'd been envious or, or jealous of the devil, he could have been tempted further. But Jesus, who is the manifestation of love, was not envious. And the trap did not work. 
And, and predominantly we will be looking at Jesus' life for these examples. But I do just want to use John the Baptist because I think John the Baptist helps us in this idea of love, not envying. John the Baptist had this successful ministry in the Jordan. And he was baptizing many people in the preparation of Jesus. And he had this role to do. And Jesus' actions in some ways show that there was no envy or jealousy of his ministry because Jesus went along there and John baptized Jesus. But then a little later, John showed his love for Christ was beyond envy. Because in John 3 and verse 30, when his disciples are talking to him, John's disciples are talking to him, and when John's disciples are saying that, look, Jesus is getting a bigger following John just turns around and says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John's love didn't envy Christ. He didn't get upset that his ministry was doing better than his. He must increase, but I must decrease. Christ never envied because love does not envy. John the Baptist as a human showed us in that situation that he didn't envy because love was motivating him and his love for God and love for the Son of God said he must increase but I must decrease. But I want to ask the question are you an envious person? Oh, of course I'm not envious. Okay. Do you like the phrase, if only? If only I had. If only I were. If only. And generally speaking, that gives evidence to the fact that we are envious of something. Envious of Someone's spiritual gifts, that's where the Corinthians were at. They were envious of those that could do things and they all wanted to do and there was envy there. Envious of someone's natural gifts. We have very gifted people within our church family. Do you delight in their gifts or are you envious of them? Envious of someone's leadership role. Why are they doing that? I could do it so much better. That was a silly decision. I could have made a much better decision. That was a poor way to lead the service. I could have led it much better. What happens when you are there waiting for the bus in the rain? And the bends comes bast and splashes the puddle over you. And the smiley face waves at you. There's well, probably anger there. But there's an envy, isn't there? You can envy people's financial situations. You can envy people's success. We have to remember that envy in your life is a reflection of lack of love. Envy in your life is a reflection of lack of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. 
nor boast. For love does not boast. Again, I didn't find any examples of Jesus boasting. His humility is in his actions, in his teachings. He didn't boast about his divinity. He didn't dance up to the stage and say, look at me, water to wine, nothing like that. We have reports of what he did, and we thank God for it, but he wasn't like a celebrity. He wasn't like a superstar. He wasn't saying, me, 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 look at me. There was nothing boastful about Christ. Jesus didn't boast about the great miracles that he did. He'd just gone on and went on and provided mankind with the greatest act of grace that could be there. Christ died for the sins of his people. Christ took the punishment of the sins of all those who will trust and repent and believe. And when he reached out in true love to that leper, which we thought about earlier in Matthew chapter 8, and that leper was healed. Can you imagine what would happen now if someone healed someone of leprosy? Your, your, your social media probably start pinging itself now and someone will be telling you, look, look, look what he did, look what... And Jesus in verse 4, Matthew 8, in that situation where the leper is healed, he says, see you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the gift that Moses commanded for the proof of them. Jesus was not boasting. His love would not let him. In Matthew, he was teaching his disciples and he was looking at them. And in Matthew 11, verse 28, he tells them and he tells us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And there's this reason that he gives. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, divinity himself in humanity. And if anyone had the right to boast, it was him. And the very attribute of him is this love. He is gentle and lowly in heart. And because he is gentle and lowly in heart, we find rest for our souls. Because he was willing to become nothing for us. Because he was willing to become sin for us. Because he was willing not to boast and be a somebody, but to be a savior. We can be saved. And it's because love doesn't boast. He is gentle and lowly in heart. To be gentle and lowly in heart is, is the heart that's not boasting. And it's because of this love that Christ had. He demonstrated his humility. He demonstrated his lack of needing to be somebody or boasting when he washed his disciples' feet. Hours before he was going to be betrayed. Hours before he was going to be nailed to the cross. In John 13 and 4 it says he rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he took on a towel and tied it around his waist. He took on the appearance, he took on the role of being a servant. He then served his disciples because he poured the water into a basin. 
And then pouring the water in the basin, he went round and he washed his disciples' feet. The teacher washing the disciples' feet. The master washing the servant. He washed them and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped round them. The King of kings and the Lord of lords took the role of a servant. What love. And yes, in part, this was a lesson for the disciples to, 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 to see that the humble servant-like attitude and what they should carry on like. But also, this is a picture of what Christ was about to do. And Paul explains this in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 7, it talks about Jesus. And he said, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Love does not boast. His love drove himself to humble himself. And he no longer boast of heaven. He didn't come here with his baggage tags with heaven written on them and his passport with heaven written on it, shouting, that's where I've come from. He didn't get himself put up in the Hilton in Bethlehem. He was born in a manger. And very often he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. And not only did he give up his heavenly home, but he gave up his life. We have to ask ourselves, and I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, do you boast? Are you quick to let people know how good you are, how talented you are, how spiritual you are? Is your testimony time boasting time? It's a temptation, isn't there? It's good to give praise to God. But sometimes we can be telling these stories because, hey, look at me. Do you make sure that people know that you're fasting? Do you make sure that people know that you are reading all the books in the library? Do you make sure people know that you get up at three in the morning and you have your devotion there looking across left kosher praying for it? Do you boast? Or maybe you don't actually say that, but you think, if only people did know that. And rather than boasting outwardly, we're boasting inwardly and there's not much difference in God's eyes. Do you make sure that people see your possessions? The labels on your clothing, the flash of your watch, the, the size of your wallet. Remember, boasting in your life is a reflection of lack of love. Boasting in your life is a reflection of a lack 
of love. If you're a believer here this morning, it's because Jesus' love is patient and kind. It's because he did not envy or boast. And I think as we look at our lives in the light of Christ, we realize that we haven't loved as we should. And every one of us here this morning, if we're not feeling that we are not where we should be, we haven't been listening. And as we feel that sense of we've failed a bit, then friend, I want you to come to this Christ who has saved us. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit again to pour out his love in us so that in this coming week, we can be a little bit more patient. We can be a little bit more kind. And when we want to envy, we can overcome it through Christ who strengthens us. And when we want to boast, we will step back because we'll think of our humble Savior who died for us. Friends, that's Christ's love. And that's the love we need. And that's the love that we're going to be carrying on learning about as we carry on in the next few weeks in this hymn. But I want to give you a moment now to think on your situation with the words echoing in your mind, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast.